I was periscoping this evening. I read Walt Whitman poetry from Leaves of Grass. In case you're a Walt Whitman expert, it was from the second last poem in Drum Taps. But it was just lovely to resume the scoping, the live reading of the whole of Leaves of Grass. That project I've been pursuing for what feels like a lifetime. But it's been probably about 18 months. I want to read you something that's been written about Walt Whitman by one of my favourite poets as well. Walt Whitman is my favourite poet, but Carl Sandburg, Carl Sandburg uh, wrote a poem called A City, all about Chicago. And I want to read you what he uh, wrote in as an introduction to Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. And this is written, this introduction by Carl Sandburg is written 1921, I, I think, yeah. So, here we go. This is Carl Sandburg. In certain particulars, Walt Whitman's book, Leaves of Grass, stands by itself and is the most peculiar and noteworthy monument amid the work of American literature. First, as to style. In a large and growing circle of readers and critics, it is regarded as the most original book, the most decisively individual, the most sublimely personal creation in American literary art. Second, as to handling by critics and commentators, it is the most highly praised and the most deeply damned book that ever came from an American printing press as the work of an American writer. No other book can compete with it in the number of bouquets handed it by distinguished bystanders on one side of the street and in the number of hostile and nasty brickbats flung by equally distinguished bystanders on the other side of the street. Third, as to personality, it is the most intensively personal book in American literature, living grandly to its promissory line, quote, who touches this touches a man, spilling its multitude of confessions with the bravery of a first-rate autobiography. Fourth, as to scope of life work, it packs within its covers, does Leaves of Grass, the life and thought and feeling of one man. It was first published when the author was 36 years of age, and he actually never wrote another book, even though he lived to be 73 years of age. What he did all the rest of his life after publishing the first edition of Leaves of Grass was to rewrite and extend the first book. Fifth, as to literary rank abroad. No other American poet except Pope has the name, the persistent audiences across decades of time and the pervasive influence credited to Walt Whitman as an American writer, an American force in Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia and the archipelagos of the sea. 
sixth as to influence in America. No other American book has so persistent a crowd of friends, advocates and sponsors as that which from decade to decade carries on the ballyhoo for leaves of grass. In Chicago, as an instance, Walt Whitman is the only dead or living American author whose memory is kept by an informal organization that memorializes its hero with an annual dinner. Seventh, as to Americanism, Leaves of Grass is the most wildly keyed solemn oath that America means something and is going somewhere that has ever been written. It is America's most classic advertisement of itself as having purpose, destiny, banners and beacon fires. Thus begins the introduction by Carl Sandburg to Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. So to continue what Carl Sandburg had to say about Leaves of Grass. Therefore, because of the foregoing seven itemised points, and because there are further points into which the annals might be lengthened, and because still furthermore there are great and mystic points of contact that cannot be captured in itemised information, therefore Leaves of Grass is a book to be owned, kept, loaned, fought over and read till it is dog-eared and dirty all over. It was in 1855 that Whitman offered the American public its first chance at his poetry. Because no publisher of that day cared to undertake publication of the book, Leaves of Grass, the poet was his own publisher. That is, he invited himself to take a header into literature, accepted the invitation and went to the party unabashed in his shirt sleeves and in a slouch hat. There has been mention on occasion of American sleeve, shirt sleeve diplomacy. Whitman is the commanding instance in shirt sleeve literature. A second edition of Leaves of Grass came out in 1856 and the poet published as a frontispiece, a picture of himself in shirt sleeves, knockabout clothes, and the left hand in the pants pocket, the right hand on the hip akimbo, the hat tossed at a slant, and the head and general disposition of the cosmos indicating a statement and an inquiry. Quote, well, here we are. It looks good to us, and while it isn't important, how do you like us? End quote. On the cover of the book were the words gilded on a green background. Quote, I greet you at the beginning of a great career. R. W. Emerson. The generally accredited, foremost reputable figure of American letters and philosophy had written those words to Whitman the year before. And in order to let everybody in and give free speech full play, there was printed... As the last thing in the book, a criticism by a reviewer in the Boston Intelligencer of May the 3rd, 1856, closing with this paragraph. Quote, this book should find no place where humanity urges any claim to respect, and the author should be kicked from all decent society as below the level of the brute. There is neither wit nor method in his disjointed babbling, and it seems to us he must be some escaped 
lunatic, raving in pitiable delirium. End quote. That was a beginning. It isn't over yet. The controversy yet rises and subsides. The best-loved figure in American literature by those who loved him, he is counted also the most heartily damned figure by those who damned him. The most highly praised and the most roundly excoriated book America has produced, that is Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. Quote, he is the poet who brought the slop pail into the parlour, wrote one critic. He is one of the sublime figures of all human annals, one to be set for companionship with Confucius, Socrates and the teachers of high and sacred living, wrote another critic. The man was mad, mad beyond the cavil of a doubt, wrote Max Nordau. Another European critic, Gabriel Sarin, wrote, He is the apostle of the idea. That man is an indivisible fragment of the universal divinity. Walt Whitman is the only established epic poet of America. He is the single American figure that both American and European artists and critics most often put in a class or throw into a category with Shakespeare, Dante, Homer. He is the one American writer that Emerson, Burroughs, John Muir, Edward Carpenter and similar observers enter in their lists as having a size in history and an importance of utterance that places him with Socrates, Confucius, uh, Lao Tse and the silver grey men of the half-worlds who left the... Um, Bhagavad Gita and the writings known most often as sacred. I am compelled to carry on reading Carl Sandburg on Walt Whitman because I find the writing so compelling. He carries on, Sandberg carries on, in stature, pride, stride and scope of personality, he is a challenger. He warns us to come with good teeth if we are to join in his menu, to bring along our rough weather clothes. He is likely at any time to tip us out of the boat to see whether we swim or sink. And there are blanks to be filled in among his writings where he seems to have whispered, quote, I'm going away now. And I'll leave you alone to work it out for yourself. You came alone and you will have to go away alone. Walt Whitman wrote his vital passages at the height of America's most stormily human period of history. Quote, we live in the midst of alarms. Anxiety beclouds the future. We expect some new disaster with each newspaper we read, said Abraham Lincoln in the famous Lost Speech, delivered the same year Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass was first published. Quote, Blood will flow and brother's hand will be raised against brother, was the passionate outcry of that same speech, which because of its tenor of violence was withheld from publication and distribution by its orator. In this same decade, Charles A. Dana Managing editor of the New York Tribune was writing, quote, It may be that the day of revolutions is past, but if so, why are they there in such abundance? 
Let others give aid and comfort to despots, be it ours to stand for liberty and justice, nor fear to lock arms with those who are called hotheads and demigods. Demagogues. The luminous fringes of romantic, or the luminous fringes of romance attaching to those abstractions, liberty and justice, as a result of the American and French revolutions, were still in the air. Dana wrote friendly explanations of just what the Frenchman Proudhon meant by his thesis, property is robbery. Thoreau was writing an essay on the duty of civil disobedience. John Brown was stealing horses, running slaves by the underground railway from slave to free soil, stocking arsenals, praying over strange new projects. These have all their significance in showing the tint of the time spirit, Brook Farm and its utopian socialist outlooks, Fourier and his phalanxes of workmen, the 1848 revolutions, these were the hot topics of the time. The far-reaching tides and backwashes of thought and emotion resulting from the French and American revolutions and all that weave of circumstance touching the ses, the secession oh god touching the secession rights of the states of the union with its ramifications into chattel slavery besides the swirl of events riding into that epic upheaval the sectional war these things tangibles and intangibles were in the air and the breadth of men in the years when Walt Whitman was bringing his book to focus, getting ready to launch Leaves of Grass. The poem of Whitman's most often published in public school readers is Captain, My Captain. His best single characteristic and authentic poem is The Song of the Open Road, earlier published under the title The Public Road, and still earlier as the poem of the road. Probably the most majestic threnody to death in the English language is the long piece written just after the assassination of President Lincoln entitled When Lilacs Last in the Dooryard Bloomed. Some readers consider Passage to India the poem of profoundest meanings and vision. This is wonderful, isn't it? To be continued. Sandberg continues. Among lovers of Whitman, the one line that probably haunts most often is out of the cradle endlessly rocking. The epithet most frequently quoted in political controversy is, quote, the never ending audacity of elected persons. Of hostile criticism, the most vivid line is, he brought the slop pail into the parlour, a commentary and antedating modern plumbing. The most poignantly human note struck in any one line is that in the poem to a common prostitute, where he declares, quote, not till the sun excludes you do I exclude you. Not till the sun excludes you do I exclude you. As intriguing as any title is, a woman 
waits for me. The 1856 edition of Leaves of Grass contained titles of poems changed in later editions. What is now a song for occupations was then poem of the daily work of the workmen and workwomen of these states. These were other titles in the first edition. Poem of wonder at the resurrection of the wheat. Poem of you, whoever you are. Poem of the heart of the sun of Manhattan Island. Poem of the last explanation of prudence. Poem of remembrances for a girl or a boy of these states. Poem of the girl that went forth and always goes forth forever and forever. Poem of the propositions of nakedness. Poem of the sayers of the words of the earth. Poem of the dead young men of Europe. The seven, the second and seventy-third years of these states. The longest title is Liberty Poem for Asia, Africa, Europe, America, Australia, Cuba and the Archipelagos of the Sea. Later changed to the title to a foiled European revolutionaire. Among the writings in Leaves of Grass, there are poems which are masterpieces of the art of poetry. Not only are they to be noted as masterpieces of American literature, they are also of a piece with massive achievements of other countries. They call up comparison with the sublime chants, outcries, queries and assurances found in other literature outside of America. Song of Myself, which in the earliest edition was titled Poem of Walt Whitman, an American, is a specimen of the massive masterpiece. Quote, I do not ask who you are. That is not important to me, he declares in one line. And I wear my hat as I please, indoors and out, in another line. Such lines are easily understood even by those who question whether it should classify as poetry. What is a man anyhow? What am I? What are you? Or, I do not call one greater than, an, than one smaller. Or, these are really the thoughts of all men in all ages. They are not original with me. Or, I launch all men and women forward with me into the unknown. These are further instances of the understandable. It is among the inarticulates of the primitive, the abysmal, on the borders where time, mystic dimensions, and the sphinxes of nowhere ask their riddles. It is in this territory that Walt Whitman gives some people a grand everlasting thrill, while still other people get only a headache and a revulsion. Quote, rise after rise, bow the phantoms beyond, behind me. Afar down I see the huge first nothing. I know I was even there. He murmurs in song of myself. Long I was hugged close. Long and long to be continued.
he carries on. And he carries on. Carl Sandberg quoting Walt Whitman. Toss sparkles of day and dusk. Toss on the black stems that decay in the muck. Toss to the moaning gibberish of the dry limbs is a specimen of this borderland reporting. Or, quote, a child said, what is the grass? Fetching it to me with full hands. How could I answer the child? I do not know what it is any more than he. I guess it is the handkerchief of the Lord. Throughout Leaves of Grass there recurs often a wild, soft laughter carrying the hint that it is impossible for a poet to tell you anything worth knowing unless you already know it and no song can be sung to you that will seem a song deeply worth hearing unless you have already in some strange, far-off fashion heard that song. An instance of this wild, soft laughter is in the closing lines of Song of Myself where it is written, The spotted hawk swoops by and accuses me. He complains of my gab and my loitering. I too am not a bit tamed. I too am untranslatable. I sound my barbaric yawp over the roofs of the world. The last scud of day holds back for me. It flings my likeness after the rest, and true as any on the shadowed wilds, it coaxes me to the vapour and the dusk. I depart as air, I shake my white locks at the run, away run. I effuse my flesh in eddies and drift it in lacy jags. I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean, but I shall be good health to you nevertheless and filter and fibre your blood. Failing to fetch me at first, keep encouraged. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere waiting for you. What he is trying to sing is a theme fluid, flowing, elusive, and so he goes out of his way to flip in the face those who are too sure they are flying in the same wild sea winds with him. Quote, Even while you should think you had unquestionably caught me already, behold, you see I have escaped you, he writes. He is at a funeral looking into a coffin. A girl stands on her toes and joins him looking in on the white face in the black box. You don't understand this, do you, my child, he asks. No, she answers. Neither do I, is his muttered and kindly rejoiner. The anecdote fits Whitman as feathers a duck. From such a poet might be expected the line, I charge you forever. Reject those who would expound me. Wow. I charge you forever. Reject those who would expound me.
I'm so glad I've read that and recorded it. Now I can go and listen to it. I hope you've made it meaningful to you. Thank you, Carl Sandberg. And above all, thank you, Walt Whitman.